Well, today I had a wonderful dialogue with Priya Jindal. And Priya helps expats and military veterans transition into civilian life. This is a topic that is really close to home for me as I grew up in a military family for all of my childhood through teenage years and early college years. So I have a very good understanding of what it's like to be in a military family and to watch um, a family member transition from that lifestyle to civilian life. And I'm so happy that people like Priya are around now to help uh, military veterans move on into civilian life and to handle it in a way uh, full of dignity and grace. So. I am excited for you guys to check out this conversation, something that's near and dear to my heart, on Dr. D's social network, my guest, Priya Jindal. All right, back in the network, this time with Priya Jindal. How are you? I am well. How are you doing? Good, good. Hey, I have to say that um, it's funny, we had our off-air talk, and I was sitting in my car talking to you, and I was like, this is like a really pleasant conversation. (laughs) <laughs> like, like really good. We went on for a while, if I remember. Yeah. Yeah. No, I. That's such a lovely thing to say. Thank you. Yeah, of course. Uh, well, you know, we're going to talk a little about the military and your experience with working with military families and things of that nature. And you were like asking me all these questions about me growing up in military in the military, and I was like, I'm never get asked questions. This is awesome. Oh, really? That's yeah. So never. a lot of what I do is coaching, right? And that's all about asking the questions. It was nice. I was like, oh, I get to be on the other side of this a little bit. <laughs> yeah, no, that's I, that's how dialogue goes, right? <laughs> yes, you. I try to. I, I want that during these, but sometimes, you know, it, it doesn't necessarily happen, but I would love to just hear about your origins with this, with the military. I think you grew up kind of around the world, right? Yeah. So I'm the children of immigrants, but my dad joined the U.S. military when I was about one year old. Um, and he was in their active duty for eight years. So I have two siblings. They were both born when he was in, um, And he really joined because of us. So he always tells me that when he was in basic, the thing that kept him going was a picture of me, apparently, as a newborn or something um, on on his dresser or whatever the table looks like, I guess. Um, Yeah. So I grew up as a military brat and I was in until I or we were in until I was about seven or eight. Um, And then we got out and moved back to his home state of Ohio. Uh, which was eye-opening for me. Um, oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I just, you know, I was just saying this to somebody the other day. I, um, there, excuse me, there are things about America that you grow up knowing if you grew up here that you don't know if you didn't grow up here. Right, right. Um, and so walking into civilian schools with just enough awareness uh, to start to try to put pieces together was r- quite a challenge. Um, it was definitely my hardest year of school. Uh, but just, you know, things like what's current today, you know, race relations, um, what does class look like? I just had no no real perspective on that at all. Um, so coming into that was really eye-opening. And my dad, you know, he got out after the first Gulf War mostly because he wanted to spend more time with the family. And I think watching his transition out 
and how challenging it was for him. This is, you know, it's a different era. It, it was, it was during the peace dividend. So it wasn't, you know, veterans weren't necessarily given the same status, um, that they might be today. And so it was just, it was really, it was, it, it shaped the person I am by watching him sacrifice for his values and priorities and to have the wherewithal to stick to those priorities. Yeah, it was interesting hearing about that from you because we had a different experience with like, whereas my dad got out of the military when I was in college. <laughs> so mm-hmm. I had lived my entire childhood through teenage years being in a military family for that, which is, I think I had told you how like my parents got stationed somewhere else when I was in college and I had no clue where they lived. And <laughs> so yes. they had to give me directions on to get to their house, which was a strange thing. Very strange. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yes. Yeah. It's how did how was it for you though? Like going into university where you get greater diversity, maybe it's not as impactful. I don't know. What what was it like? I thought it was it was very similar for me because like the high school I went to two well I went to two different high schools and one high school was in like the deep deep south of the United States in Georgia and there was really only black people and white people in the mm-hmm. school it was like right down the middle and then when I when we went to when I went to high school I think it was five my sophomore year to senior year I went to high school and um and man, I'm blanking. I wonder where the high school. That's terrible. <laughs> <laughs> it was in uh, Virginia, and it was at formerly called Robert E. Lee High School. It made mm-hmm. the news because they changed the high school to John Lewis High School. Yep, that's Very where I recently. went. Okay, yeah. So I went to that high school, and that high school was crazy diverse. I mean, I think it was like the first time I had seen really any anybody from like Indian culture, you mm-hmm. know, uh, Arab Middle Eastern. I was like, whoa, this is this is very different for me, you know? <laughs> so when I got to college, it was, it was pretty similar because the high school I went to was so diverse for that, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Were you primarily stationed in the U.S.? Yeah, mainly the U.S., but uh, I was born in Germany, and then we lived there when I was like preteen okay. for that. How about your dad? Was it all U.S. based? No, so we we did five years in Mississippi and then three in Germany. And Mississippi, so, yeah. <laughs> wait, 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 wait. Back the truck up, Mississippi. What yeah. was that like? I mean, I was very, very young, and we did live on a base. Um, so it was, you know, it, it was very community based. And my parents, it's sort of the stories they tell us. I don't really remember it that well. I remember very like like snippets of things. You know, I remember being very attached to our dining table and we were going to get rid of it when we were PCSing to Germany. These are like five-year-old memories, yeah. like obviously. Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. Um, I haven't heard that term in a long time. <laughs> and uh, I remember being very, I, I think part of my personality obviously was coming out at that time. I was, um, I was very upset. I'm a little, I can be a little bit OCD. And mm-hmm. I, uh, one of my neighbors got on my bike on my tricycle and she had been in her swimming pool. And so she made my seat wet and I was very upset about that. But the, I mean, it's like, those are my memories. They're like so childish. Um, I do remember people, you know, that were around us. Um, and that was really, I think, you know, a lot of what I focus on now is community building. And that's so much of what it was for my parents too. They tell us stories about, they didn't know how to find, you know, other Indian people. That's where they are from, from India. And so they literally like, cracked open the 
the yellow pages, white pages, whatever it was at the time. Um, I don't even know. That is all the phone of, book. For anybody that is the phone book. Yes. I was going to say, I don't know if all of your, of your listeners will recognize that. There's a lot of young people listen to this. They'll be like, what's that? <laughs> yeah. So, so they cracked open a phone book, a literal phone book. Um, and looked for names that were common and called up hotels because, you know, uh, Indian people own hotels. And that's how they found their community. <laughs> <laughs> what? That's yeah. crazy. Yeah, it was, it's a different time, you know? It couldn't have been a lot of Indian people in Mississippi. I mean, I don't know, man. It doesn't seem like it. <laughs> you know, I, I have a good friend who's from Mississippi, not far from where that was. And uh, two of the families that we knew well, we're still in touch with. So... You're right. I don't think there were many, but like that also breeds that like solidarity or like com- or uh, sense of community, you know, and belonging. Because you're like, okay, there's just yeah, there's just however many of us, so we have to stick together. I think that's a thing, and like I know it's kind of this is how this goes. This kind of goes all over the place, but like, do you find that that's a cultural thing that other Indian people seek each other out? when they get in different places. Cause as, as a black person, I haven't experienced that. Like we try to do that in those environments. I, I haven't, mm-hmm. I mean, I didn't experience that growing up, but I have several Indian clients and I feel like the story you're telling me is very familiar mm-hmm. in that sense. You know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I don't know. I don't know if it's culturally Indian. I think all cultures kind of do that um, when they're in a foreign place. So I think, you know, I do a lot of work with expats. I'm I'm still active duty. And when I'm overseas, I find other Americans. And I remember even as a student overseas, people would hear my accent and they were like, oh my gosh, you're American. And they would be so excited. And you're like, okay. <laughs> um, you know, it's like obviously in, I think anywhere you find your in-group. Um, and that's probably changing generationally as well. You know, when they came, a lot of these families, they just didn't have they were trying to navigate the same issues, you know, like my sister just wrote a piece about, she's also military now. And she just wrote something about my dad going in and not having vegetarian meals at the time. And like, uh, how do you find that? And so what does that mean as a community when, you know, at the time we were sort of a country of meat and potatoes. And so we have a lot of different ways to make potatoes now. <laughs> and so you oh, had yeah. to exchange those recipes. Man, that's, that's amazing. Uh. So your dad got out. When, how old were you when he got out? So when he got out of active, I was about eight. Um, okay. But he got he went back in to the guards uh, a couple years after that. And you were stationed. You said you were stationed in Mississippi, and then where else? Where'd you go after that? So then we went to Germany. So that's where I started grade school, uh, and that's where my memories sort of are. And where in Germany? We were at a base called Spangdalem. It's a little bit oh, okay. northwest. I'm familiar. Yeah, because I told you I think I was. No, we were in Germany twice. Yes. And I remember I have very fond memories of being stationed in Germany uh, with that. And my parents were very, it was strange. Like we, we, they did not want us to live in the military housing. That was not a thing for my oh, parents. They, interesting. They wanted us to live on the German economy. And so I knew not one American person in my neighborhood. So we were like extreme minority. Mm -hmm. We were black and we were American on the German economy. And so it was weird, like the language and stuff and, you know, just walking around trying to make friends. And I feel like they did that to force us to try to, you know, learn a different place and not be so comfortable. Mm -hmm. Did you um, did you learn German then? 
I did uh, for a little bit. I would say I was probably about 50% fluent. I mean, I think I'm more fluent now because oh, I wow. just like learning it and and going back over it. But uh, I knew enough to get by. But man, I hated learning it because I went to a military school there and they were all about that. And then you're, then you're like in sixth grade, you're like, uh, no, I'm not into this. Wait, <laughs> you, you know? went to a local military school? I went to, they had this... Um, Man, it was weird. I remember it like it was yesterday. It was in Firth. Um, okay. And it was in these trailers. It was so strange. It was like every class was in these trailers, and it was all military kids. I remember that. And I was like, like this is the strangest thing. U.S. military. U.S. military. Yes. Yeah. Okay. Yep. Yeah. So so Dodd Schools, Department of Defense. Dodd Schools. Yep. Yeah. 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 It, was the, it was weird, honestly. <laughs> I remember thinking, I'm like, why are we in these trailers every day? So like, what is this? So prior to that, you had gone to U.S. public schools. Uh, yeah, kind of. Yes. Like it was, it depended. Like we were, we went from Kansas to Germany. That's where we, that was our, okay. our previous thing. So my dad was in the war college at Leavenworth. So we went to, you know, school on the base uh, there. Oh, okay. and then some schools, the different places I lived in, we went go to the U.S. public schools, and then sometimes would be like on the base. It was like I was like in and out of like military based uh, schooling, like in on bases and you know kind of civilian schooling mm-hmm. area, hmm. which was weird. Well, that's yeah, also. it's got to be a fascinating story though. <laughs> it was good, and I think the one in Germany was the last time I was in, like you said, a Dodd school. After that, I was like in shock and I came back into like u- civilian, like U.S. public high school. And mm-hmm. I was like, I don't know what's going on. <laughs> <laughs> you know? I don't know what anybody does. Like, because every I was used to being in a place where everybody was in the same boat. Mm-hmm. We all had a common thing. Our parents or parent was in the military at the same time. Yep. Yep. And then when you go to a place and you're the only person whose parent is in the military, it's different. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And just like, I mean, I remember in Germany, like everybody, you know, you got clothes from the BX and that's it. <laughs> so everybody looked the same. So when I, when I came to yeah. the U.S., there was this whole thing about like expression. And I was like, who cares? Really? Like, that's kind yeah. of how I felt. Yeah. Um, but it was <laughs> like, and then like, things were popular, which I didn't really understand. I was like, what? Like you either have access or you don't have access. Like it's, there's nothing, like there's nothing else yeah. there. Um, yeah. So it was, it's an interesting adjustment, I think from, from that lifestyle to a civilian lifestyle. Yes. Actually, I remember that when we left Germany early, because that was, uh, you know, the Gulf War time, the whole deal. And, uh, so they were shutting down bases mm-hmm. in Germany. So our base in Schwabach was getting shut down. So we had another, we were there two years. We're supposed to be there three. And uh, my parents were loving it. They loved Germany. I hated it when I was like teenager level. I was like, no, no, no. I want to go back to America, <laughs> you know? And then by the time I started liking it, it was like, they were like, no, no, we're going to the U.S. And I remember when I got back, we flew into Philadelphia. I never forget it. And I kissed the ground. I remember kissing the tarmac. And was so happy, but it was foreign to me. I had been gone too long where like everything that was cool in the United States, I had no clue that it was cool mm-hmm. at all. It was just like, what's that? What's that band? 
What is like it was in a cave for two years, right. literally. Yeah, yeah. There's like, especially at this time, you know, we're talking about the early '90s. You didn't have the internet. You didn't have these access points um, to to sort of be as connected as we are today. And I think you sort of you had letters to stay in touch with people, like literal handwritten letters, right? Yeah. And then it was you were living a totally different life, and you. I think many of us sort of put our lives on pause wherever we're leaving. Yeah. And then we come back and we're like, wait, what? No one else paused? Um, <laughs> um, yeah. And that's, you know, a lot of what I do actually is is talking about that is like, how do you, how do you fast forward um, and and catch up essentially uh, with that? Yeah, it's, it's really challenging. So this is with people who are transitioning out of the military or tell me, I want to know the mechanics of, of your job. Yeah. So I work with two different populations. I work with... Um, Anyone who's returning home from from overseas, so expats coming back uh, to their passport country, as well as veterans transitioning out. So basically, what I do is like cultural transition. So you are going cultural transition to a familiar place, which is pretty unique in the space, which is mostly regarding general cultural transition. And so the idea here is that like clearly you didn't join the military straight out of the womb, so probably you've had civilian experiences. Um, and then you go into the military and you come out and there's an adjustment period because you've been in a system for so long that it's really challenging to walk back into the old system, right? So I was doing a talk on this yesterday and we were talking about you may not, you know, you may prepare for meetings very differently, right? You're going to show up on time, you're going to have an agenda and you've got goals and an organization may not have that same agenda or goal or culture, right? They may just show up when they show up. Um, or I, I love this. I always have folks who are like, why, why do civilians walk so slowly? Like, don't they need to be somewhere? Um, I totally get that. Right? I totally get that. Same thing on bases. You know, you're a base rat, man. You just, everybody's moving with a purpose yep. where they're going places. You know? Yeah. So, so those things are like, they're really small, but they, they start to add up where you're just like, why is everything so hard? Um, and then for my expats, it's a lot of expectations management, you know, like you sort of exactly what we we're just talking about with everything being on pause, you come back, I'm actually writing a piece on this right now, and you meet everybody, right? You meet your family and friends and you're like, okay, this is great. I've got a community. It's going to be awesome. And I don't have to create it. And I understand everything that's going on. And then, you know, the first thing that happens is you go to the to the grocery store and you probably freak out, uh, depending on where you were. And you're just like, why? There's way too many choices. Like, why, why are there? <laughs> I was just in the grocery store and I was like, why are there Minion cereals? Like, I don't, what do Minions have to do with cereal? Um, and I live here. You're in the commissary <laughs> anymore, man. <laughs> <Right>? <laughs> exactly. So it's, it just expands dramatically. Um, which is great, right? We always talk about how great choice is, but it can be paralyzing as well. And I think that's what a lot of people face. So you overcome all of that structural stuff. And then and then you realize that all those people you hung out with in that first month or two have moved on and have their own lives and you aren't really a natural part of it anymore, right? So they aren't calling you out to dinner or lunch or whatever. And how do you rebuild those connections when you sort of disappeared? on them for a couple of, of years. So what we do, we have three lines, but primarily, so we have a, a reorientation workshop where we talk about a lot of this and how to navigate it. Um, I do one-on-one -on -one coaching. So as we talked about uh, right before we started, uh, the idea of 
of walking through what a person is dealing with and what works for them in a new environment and how they can adapt it in a familiar environment. And then lastly, we do a whole series um, directly with with the organizations that are sending people abroad uh, and bringing them back. And we do both things, workshops and coaching with them. And those are more tailored to their culture and their goals for those employees. Gotcha. Do you feel like the uh, there's a lot of struggling, especially with expats coming back from international places to their home country? I think there's struggle that they don't recognize as reentry struggle. So I think they they sort of misperceive it in some sense, and that's like that's not any fault of their own, right? But like it manifests in ways that, as a culture, we don't really talk about. Um. So some of the stuff is really easy, like the grocery store stuff, right? I had a friend call me once from the airport and she was like, my parents want me to take a cab home. And I was like, okay. And you're in New York and she's American. And she was like, yeah. And I was like, okay, yeah. what's the deal? And she's like, I don't, I don't know how I'm going to do this. And I was like, well, let's think <laughs> through like the strengths, like you speak the same language, you know, yes. um, that's step one, you know where you're going. Um, and so she was like, okay, I think I can do this. But like there, there are those freak out moments where you're just like, wait a minute, yeah. how am I supposed to do this? Because ju- you just haven't done it in so long. You know, the first time I, friends that come back, the first time they get in their cars to drive, I remember the first time I drove, I was like, people are going way too fast and they should definitely not be on their phones. They're all going to die. Um, <laughs> like, this is crazy. Yeah, yeah. You know, so there, there's that stuff, like the the stuff you see around you. And then I think there is that this really big social piece where you sort of feel like you don't belong anywhere. And that's, you know, that's a critical piece of, of fulfillment and happiness for, for us as social beings. Man, that part hit me hard because I remember one of my favorite things about being in a military family was, you know, these bases, at least the ones that I were on, I was on, they did a great job of creating community for families. Yeah. And, you know, it was just like from the sporting teams to um, officers clubs, different, you know, potluck. I was just telling my wife the other night I was about, because uh, I've had a couple military-based folks on, and I said, man, I remember all the potlucks. Everybody would always do potlucks on military bases <laughs> yeah. and come together. And I always remember how much I enjoyed that. And I remember and coming back to America, I was like, it was just none of that. Mm-hmm. Like you're, you come back and you are the foreign person in your own land, essentially. And especially as a kid, you move to, you know, you get stationed in a place where everybody grew up together. Yeah. That was their home. And you are the person who has never grown up with anybody. It's very difficult to make friends and to be entrenched in that environment. Yeah, it's such a great point. I think part of that is also, you know, what you said, everyone grew up together. And so you're just an outsider. Whereas even on a base, when you arrive, yes, the community gets it and does things, but it's just so transient, right? So everybody's very comfortable with being like, all right, let's meet up and like figure out what's going to work for two years, even if it's only two years. And that's really rare. It just works together. It is. It's just like you get plopped into whatever base you're in and it's just like, boom, community set up. Everybody knows what time it is. Everybody knows they're on a short-term leash. You know, you connect with people. There's all these systems set up for you. And uh, I actually, I missed that a tremendous amount when I got into high school because that's really when we stopped going, moving onto bases. That's when we started living like everybody else in suburbs, communities. 
And it was incredibly difficult because I was used to the military lifestyle. Like it was just everything at your disposal on the base. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it was weird to like have to navigate normal, m- most people's normal existence. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, just like, you know, things like, oh, I have to hire movers if I want to move. You know, the government does that for I me. Or like... <laughs> oh my gosh. I, my parents never complained about that because it was always like taken care of or, you know, they were, they were getting their um, housing paid yeah. for. I, I remember that my dad talking about, and we moved, we moved, we weren't living on, uh, my dad was stationed in the Pentagon and uh, he was like, oh yeah, the government pays for the housing and stuff. And I was like, that must be nice. Yeah. <laughs> especially know? in this area, it's very expensive. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. And I'm like thinking, I don't think other people get this dad, no. you know, like, <laughs> yeah, absolutely. It's, it's, yeah, it's definitely a lifestyle shift because there are benefits that are sort of you sort of take them for granted because they're so, they're such a daily part of your life. You forget what it's like for anybody else in some sense. I think I just lost you. Oh, yeah. My Wi-Fi went out. You know, it was weird. Like, I'm, I'm experiencing everything that everybody in the world is experiencing so many people on the internet at the same time in a house and then blowing up each other. I was like, Oh, this ought to be interesting today because my daughter's on her, on her, my daughter's doing, you know, online schooling, my wife's in a virtual classroom for her college that she teaches at. And I'm doing a podcast. Wow. <laughs> yeah. You've got a good load on your Wi-Fi. <laughs> you know? Yeah. So everything's, you know, the bandwidth, but, uh, yeah, I think it's interesting. Now, are you dealing with people who are uh, deployment as well? Families are deployed? So far, no. Uh, mostly what I end up working with is people who are transitioning out. So either retiring or, or leaving um, after the end of their contract uh, and going into the civilian sector. What's the, uh, I don't know if you know, what's the percentages of you know how long people are staying in the military these days? Are a lot of short timers, career military people? What's the, what's it looking like? I'm not sure what the statistics look like. A lot of the folks I get are the ones who've been in for 10, 12, 15 years. Um, so it's a real big, it's a bigger transition. But the folks I talk to not for work, just you know, out of friendships and stuff, they all left earlier than that. And they actually struggle with a lot of the same things, but maybe don't have, you know, maybe we, the the veterans organizations, aren't doing enough to actually speak to them in a way that's accessible. Hmm. Was there, what do you think is the difference between people who are getting out earlier versus the people who are getting out later? Is it, you know, they're just getting more promotions or they're enlisted versus officers? They're different. What do you think that is? I mean, it would be total, totally speculation. Um, so I want to apologize for anyone who has the actual stats listening. Um, it's all right. It's just speculating. Yeah. Yeah. I would guess that the enlisted folks stay in for less time outside of like the whole promotion issue for officers. But, but enlisted officers, yeah. because of the re-ups and the way that their contracts are structured, I think maybe have not necessarily more flexibility. Um but maybe they seek out more opportunity, you know, to, to consider leaving. Yeah. Um, yeah. So most of the folks that, and then again, you know, most of the folks who are getting these services tend to be officer corps as well, at least in my experience, which again is limited relative to some of the very large organizations. 
Um, but yeah, I'm not, I don't know. I don't really know why, why you see the disparities or what that looks like. Obviously every, every branch of the federal government is under so much change these days that, um, I'm sure, I'm sure that that factors in somehow, you know, some people may be leaving because they're frustrated by X, whereas other people want more of Y, you know, as is the case in any organization. Yeah. Yeah. That's interesting. What is the most challenging part of your job? I think the most challenging part for me is, is holding the space for people to really come up with their own solutions and recognize that they, that they're empowered and, and have insight. Um, when, when they're feeling really overwhelmed because there's so many things that they are newly learning or experiencing and it doesn't it doesn't feel like an adventure to them even though if they were doing it in another country it would um so just watching them sort of struggle through that and being there to help by holding space but not necessarily you know, guiding in a specific way because everybody's journey is so different. So I want them to have that ownership. Um, I think that's the most challenging and that doesn't last super long. Most people get over that and we start moving in the direction that they want to move in. Um, but those, you know, those few minutes or few sessions can be really challenging. But what's most rewarding though, on the flip side is that when you talk about like people not walking fast enough or trying to choose your clothes or, you know, showing up to a meeting or whatever, it really resonates. And they're like, oh, somebody actually gets it who's a civilian. And I'm like, yes, there are people who get it. They are, they're not necessarily as common, but like there, there's a language for you to be able to express this. And I think just feeling heard and understood, it's just really powerful to watch that. Yeah. Now, did you say you were active duty? So actually? I'm foreign service. Uh, so Foreign service. Yeah. So not military. Interesting. I'm not, I'm not heard of that before. I, I mean, there's a lot I don't know about all this, but what does that mean? It's like foreign service, like what's division is that? What's the whole deal? Yeah. So it's department of state. Um, and it's basically okay. the folks who staff the foreign embassies overseas. Um, so we spend oh. the bulk of our careers, uh, abroad. And you're, but you're in the U S now, right? Yeah. I've been here for three years and Hopefully, knock on wood, I'll get back out next year. Mm-hmm. We'll see. Oh, so um, is it's generally, is it two to three years kind of max? Yeah. Three years is the max. I think you, there's some places you can extend for a fourth, but generally it's, yeah, two to three years. I mean, I know that schedule. Like, <laughs> the back of my hand for when I was growing up, sometimes we had the six-month schedule, and I was like, oof, this is yeah. rough. You know, like. Yeah, that's brutal. I mean, that was very difficult. You know, that was when I was really little. I mean, we had a, several of those when I was very little. And then they started getting a little bit longer uh, as they've gotten, as I got older. Mm-hmm. But uh, I'm always fascinated by people who work with people in the service. Because I think a lot of civilians, although there's a lot of respect for the military and, you know, people say, oh, man, people are fighting and stuff. I think very few, if you're not in the military, it's very hard to recognize what it's like, or if you were growing up in that environment, uh, what the actual lifestyle is like for our service people. Mm-hmm. I think it's, I think, because bases are hard to get into, at least I remember when I became a civilian, 
and I couldn't get on bases anymore. I was actually pretty depressed about it. It's, yeah. Honestly. I mean, exactly what you were saying, like that sense of community really exists. That's where the heart of it is. Um, and it is a little bit exclusive. <laughs> it feels like it. I, I don't know. It was like, I tried to go back to Fort Leavenworth when I was an adult because I loved living there for the year we were there. I remember it was like almost impossible for me to get back on. And I'm like, I used to live here. Yeah. <laughs> you know? it's like, yeah, it's gotten really And hard. I would go back and forth, mm-hmm. you know? And, and after 9-11, it was impossible. Absolutely. yeah. Like, oh, man, like Fort Meade, my parents were stationed there. That was crazy, getting on that <laughs> base. To just visit my parents was like an hour for wow. me to get on the base. Yeah, it's it's since 9-11 and it continues today, it's gotten... You know, I mean, it makes sense. It's a secure facility, but um, it, it, yeah, it's definitely not easy. And I think you're right. It, it limits people's access to understanding what that lifestyle is like. And I think that's also why you have that sense of community. Um, they say, you know, crisis breeds camaraderie. Uh, and that's sort of sort of the military in many, many respects. And I think that's the, pe- the thing people struggle with is that how do you develop that sense of community? Like people don't have the same sense of urgency or, you know, basically your life isn't on the line. And so you don't have, yeah. you aren't ready to be as vulnerable necessarily. Sometimes I feel like, you know, when you're in a military family and for those people who serve in the military, it's like, those relationships are almost relationships of convenience because you're all in the same, kind of like college to me in some way, like everybody's living in the same place, you know, and everybody's kind of doing the same thing. And so it's kind of like easier to meet people because they're all literally packed in the same place. As soon as you get out into kind of the general public and everybody's doing different jobs and different stages of their life, it's, it's inconvenient. It's hard to connect mm-hmm. with people. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. It's, it is a lot harder, you know, and, and how many people say that like as they get older, they just find it harder to move because how are they going to make friends? Uh, because you're right. They're just not, yeah. the people aren't there. And I think importantly, and we forget this, that not only are they not there, they aren't necessarily as open, right? Like today, my bandwidth to be as supportive or inclusive of new people is more limited than it might have been, right? When I was in my 20s just because I've got other priorities and needs and et cetera. So, yeah. Yeah, that's interesting. I was having a conversation about that thing. Is like when you start getting into your 40s and stuff and it's kind of like you start looking around and you're like, where'd all my friends yeah. go? Like <laughs> everybody's so busy raising their kids and, you know, working in their jobs. And it's like you forget what it's like to kind of, not have that. And then you're just making friends, hanging out in your twenties or whatever, you know, when you're high school and it becomes a very different existence. Mm-hmm. And when you're in the military or part of a military family, you kind of get, you know, depending on how long you're in there, you're really in this bubble mm-hmm. in many mm-hmm. ways. You step on that base, it becomes commonplace, at least for me, especially internationally, to see the guards all the time and to see people checking underneath cars for bombs. Yeah. And, you know, walking by, I used to always walk by my dad's office on this base and, uh, you know, calling people, major so-and-so, captain so-and-so. Was all, that's the one thing, too, I miss the respect mm. that we used to have. A lot of respect on military bases for personnel. Like, you had to, you know, my dad was like, you make sure you call so-and-so by their rank type of thing. And I kind of miss that. 
Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. It's interesting because, you know, again, we're talking about culture and this idea of what does it look like and, and what does that tell you about, in this case, an organization, right? But I think it also, <clears throat> from a humanistic perspective, is about how, you know, it's almost an Eastern philosophy with respect to respect for the wisdom and experience that these people have earned by virtue, that that's demonstrated by their rank, right? Um, and that's, yeah, it, it's definitely not necessarily as pervasive and, and sort of the civilian culture otherwise. Do you get to go to or experience um, promotions uh, with people? So I do when my sister gets promoted. <laughs> um, and I did when my father took a command, uh, which was pretty cool. Um, so yeah, from time to time, but it's, it's, it's familial, not, um, not like clients or anything. One, it's interesting that you've you've done that because I know very few people have been a part of those ceremonies. But man, I remember every single time my dad got promoted, it was like such a huge mm-hmm. deal. And and all the pageantry and drama and stuff that goes into it. I remember thinking, there's nothing like this, you know, or taking command of a base. My dad was the commander of uh, Fort Hamilton in New mm-hmm. York City at one point. And I remember this huge parade thing and I was like, is my dad like a celebrity, <laughs> you know, a celebrity. <laughs> and it's just so different. I, I totally, you're bringing me down memory lane with all this <laughs> stuff. You know? Yeah. It's, you know, and that gets to this piece on culture regarding rewards and recognition. And we don't, you know, so much of this comes down to like, how do we treat other people and what do we want? And I think the nostalgia, um, that we're feeling is really about these things that we want out of our communities. We want to be recognized. We want to feel a sense of belonging. Uh, we want to to have earned the respect and have it demonstrated to us in a way that we understand um, or are receptive to. And I think, you know, what, what we're talking about is a culture that's really created that. Um, and so many civilian cultures, right? How many civilian cultures, uh, organizations are talking about how do we take the leadership lessons from the military and create the same style of programming within our organization. And it's challenging, right? It's really, really challenging. And and the military, whatever else its issues may be, has done a really quite impressive job uh, on on that front, I think. Now, you're working with all different personnel, like all branches of the military, or is it just a certain branch? Yeah, no, I work with anybody. Are there... I don't know this at all because I was part of a, a army family. What are the differences, if any, between Air Force, Navy, Army, things like that? <laughs> Probably depends on who you ask and where they're coming from. Ah, <laughs> uh, okay. Right? okay. They're all gonna they're all gonna have their own stories about the others. Um, yeah, there's definitely yeah. linguistic differences. Um, there's also some differences, sort of in like where where they find their resources. I think there's, there's different, not different levels of camaraderie. That's the wrong way to phrase it. But I feel like they, they lean on their networks in different ways, I find. Um, so, you know, the Marines are always going to be What does Marines, that mean? Like, what, stop. Give me an example. And so they're, they're just always going to be there for one another. You know, they are brothers, mm-hmm. essentially. Um, whereas the Army, which is just so much larger... There is some of that, obviously, but I think because of its size, you don't get that same 
um, the same intimacy in some ways. So uh, I was yes. part of a group of people. My class was 21. We were volunteers overseas and we were the largest class. Every other class was like 10 to 20, sorry, 10 to 15. And every single one of those people, I just had to email somebody and I said, Hey, does anyone know anyone who works at this one organization? And they said, yep, this is the guy. He was with Indicor as well. And he was ready and willing to take my call, right? Just because of that. And I think Marines are very mm -hmm. similar where it's very much about you are a Marine. It's like a, it's like a carte blanche. Like it's a pass, you know, like you've already passed whatever, um, bona fides I need from you. So I'm happy to talk to you. Right. Whereas I think, I don't think that's, I think that's somewhat universal within the services writ large, but I think that it is, you may have to jump one more hurdle in some of the larger uh, branches. I see. Yeah. I didn't feel that was a big thing in the army from like my dad's side, just, just my observation. Now I was very young in high school and all the way through. So maybe I just wasn't looking for it, but. I, uh, I didn't see mm -hmm. that a lot, but it sounds like, I guess from like things like Marines, you see a Marine culture and movies and stuff, you get that sense that there's a real brotherhood or, you know, personhood with people, yeah, you know, absolutely. Like that's the price of admission. You have, you are part of this fraternity and because you're part of this fraternity, you automatically are going to get my trust potential. Yes. You know, Thank you for distilling all those things I just rambled about so beautifully. <laughs> <laughs> what i do <laughs> i better be okay at this i've done a lot of these things <laughs> i just wonder because you know there was like i would meet some other kids who were in other um their families went out there and they'd be like oh you know you're in the chair force you know like that was like the big joke your dad's in the chair force and we're like what <laughs> like I never know what I was like, what does that mean? Because it was like the they would get stationed in like the really good right. places. Yeah. In like Hawaii and stuff. And in the middle in army, it felt like we always got stationed in weird places that weren't that great. Yeah, know? there's definitely huge culture differences amongst the branches with how they invest their money. You know, like the joke is always the Air Force is always gonna build their golf course first because they know that they can always get more money for the runway, right? Because they need that. Um so, you know, whether or not that's true, um, that's how the joke goes. And it's, you know, that tells you what other people think about them, et cetera. But yeah, they all have their own, definitely have their own cultures. Yeah, I was just curious, like, since you're working with all different people that you may be privy to how that operates. Like, I, I haven't been on a lot of those other bases, you know, and things. I've just primarily army. So I don't know what the function is in those other bases, like how the community is. You know? Yeah. So I think that sense of community, though, is really universal. And I think that's why veterans across the board struggle with the transition, right? Because choosing your uniform versus deciding, do I have to wear a tie or what's appropriate? Yeah. That's universal. Um you know, the, the ethos of how do we get things done and that we're going to sit down and we're going to plan and we're moving towards a goal. And it's not just about consensus building just for the sake of consensus building. That's, that yeah. is pervasive. And I think when you transition out of writ large, the culture, the hierarchy, you know, what you were talking about with respect, that's uh, universal within the service as well. Um, so there's definitely differences and it's, you know, language, of course, you know, Mm -hmm. I, I always think one of the things I struggle with my dad was Air Force is um, 
Navy captains because I forget that that's a higher rank than it is for the rest of the services. And so you don't, I didn't know that. Yeah. And so, so, so a captain is the equivalent of a Colonel. I'm pretty sure. In the army. Yes. And wow. I didn't so know that. It gets really confusing, right? Because if in your army, you're like, okay, whatever captain, not whatever, but you know, it's not necessarily like the respect that you would necessarily give a Colonel. And I think that's, you know, things like that can really trip you up if you aren't familiar with, you know, in this case, the, the verbiage, but. Oh, I, I mean, I'm literally like, what? I thought that was the same. I, would, you would think? I didn't know, man. You would think. It would seem like it would make sense, but uh, I don't know. I mean, I was at one point very obsessed with my dad's mm-hmm. rank. And I remember when he, uh, he became full bird colonel, I was like, oh my God, my dad's going to be a general one day. It's going to be incredible. You know, at this point I'm like, getting going to college. And I remember he was like, I'm done. I was like, why? I was like, don't you want, I'm thinking about the, in my mind, the celebrity of being a general and his mind, he did not see it that way. He did. He just saw it was another assignment, another three years. And he was just tired. It was 28 years. He was like, not going to happen. And, and I remember like all the promotions, I forgot what's the criteria the whole thing that you had to do to get a promotion and like the list, I don't think there was a yeah. list you were on yeah. or something. Cause you, after a certain point you have to be approved by Congress. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, I remember thinking he obsessed about this list and they were talking, my mom talking about this list. I'm like, what's this <laughs> list? <laughs> yeah, no, it's, it's definitely a weird, you sort of forget. I've forgotten a lot of that actually until you mentioned it. It's true. It is a weird way to go about things, I guess. Yeah, and these, these scores and stuff. And I was like, this seems really involved, like to get promoted, like a lot of, you know, whether you showed up on the list or not. And, oh, he got on the list or he didn't or she didn't, whatever the whole thing. And I remember thinking, like, I know nothing about this. Like, I, what are they talking about? Yeah, <laughs> almost know? like a boarding school, you know, like who, who passed what. <laughs> Yeah, it's just a different, almost it's a different language, as you said, the linguistics of it. It's a different culture. It's very tribal mm-hmm. in many Absolutely. ways. Absolutely. Its own tribe. The military is very tribal. And how you progress through that tribe, I was found to be very interesting. Yeah. You know, I hadn't actually ever thought about it closely till you just mentioned it, but I feel like maybe it's a function of bureaucracy because my my organization is somewhat similar right like you know who got promoted you all compete against one another to pr- get promoted um you have to hit certain yeah. benchmarks i just know i was just like well this is how you get promoted like it never occurred to me that it was weird <laughs> until just now but that's because i grew up in it and then i went into a similar business <laughs> i mean well, think about like if you're in a job there's just some regular job or whatever you're in some corporate job and they put out a list of all the people who are up for <laughs> promotion, you know? Yeah. And they're like, well, you know, here's this list. Uh, Jim didn't get on the list, and Jim's upset. And then Sarah got on this, didn't get on, did on, got on the list. And then it was this scorecard. It's like, it's just out there, you know? It's like, it's fairly strange if you yeah. think about it. <laughs> now that I am thinking about it. I'm going to go look this up. I'm going to ask my dad today and be like, can you tell me about this? Like, this is strange, just so you know. Yeah. I wonder what, I wonder why that started that way. I mean, in some ways it's really transparent. 
That's true. I mean, is that a good thing or a bad thing? I mean, you can look at it both Absolutely. ways. Uh, I, I don't know, but I remember people being pissed when they weren't so, on the list. Yeah. I do remember yeah, that. It's, you know, and in some ways, so this is the second piece of it, right? So it's tribal and it also, it builds the the brotherhood, the fraternity, but it also builds the competitiveness, right? These are, there are a lot of type A's, um, a lot of high achievers who are going to compete against one another. And so maybe it has a secondary function of making you strive to reach your potential. Do you ever think there's a piece of that? I mean, this is kind of the dark side of things. I don't know whether this is true or not. Like I remember my parents would say, so-and-so just is not going to make the list. Like they keep getting passed over, let's say for like major or something like that, or you know, Lieutenant Colonel, is there, is there, do you think there's an element of that? It's like, we're just basically, you're never going to get there. And so you're not going to get this rank. And so maybe that's a way of a person to be like, they're just going to get out at some point because they're not going to keep moving up the chain. Yeah. I mean, I think the billeting process is the same thing, right? Like at the end of the day, a hierarchical structure requires people to leave at each level, Mm. right? Like it's, it is a pyramid, which means there aren't, there just aren't enough slots uh, as you move up. And so I think it is a forcing function. Uh, at state, we have up or out. So you are required to leave if you don't get promoted within a certain time. Um, so it's yeah. more explicit. Yeah. Uh, but I think in any hierarchy, you're going to see some sort of forcing function, whether that's informal, the way it is here, <clears throat> excuse me, or more formal, uh, the way it is with, with state. That is something I think could be very foreign to a lot of people because I remember that being a very kind of harsh thing. And once I kind of understood it a little bit and like, it was a reality that everybody knew if this guy didn't get on the list after a certain amount of times, it was mm-hmm. over type of thing. And, uh, and again, I think that like, what if that was like a, like a civilian job, <laughs> you know, like you just didn't get promoted. Like, what does that mean? You know, like some people never get promoted they just stay in a job. Yeah. And I think that's like a big question for the bureaucracy, which is like, is it okay to have essentially experts, right? Like, does your accountant also need to be a team lead and a visionary, right? And like, probably not. Like, and that's, you know, I'm not trying to be derogatory towards accountants. They're wonderful people. Um, But like, as an example, like they have an expertise that is greater value add then probably whatever you want them to also be. And so how do you reward that in these structures? Yeah. I don't think I've ever had these conversations with anybody, (laughs) honestly. I think that's why I was very attracted to wanting to have this conversation because it's been an island for me Mm. for most of my post-military life, beyond talking to my parents about it. Like I think I mentioned to you, my dad transitioned very yeah. well from the military. He, at least to me, he did not seem to struggle at all. I think he felt he maxed it out and he was good. Um, and I and I know that, you know, that's not true for everybody. But I think sometimes as the child of somebody who's been in the military, you, you know, there's kind of this send-off. They get my dad this big send-off and everything and his retirement and stuff. But when you're a child, you don't retire from the military. It's just over. It's just yeah. over. You raise such a good point. This is it's something we talk a lot about. It's called um saying goodbye well. 
And the idea is that when you get closure and you, you, you can let it go then, right? And that allows you to let come whatever is next in your journey. And I think this is, it's such a great point because that celebration or retirement or whatever it is of, of departure allows that person who's active in the military to close hopefully well, um, whereas the rest of the family is sort of like, wait, what? <laughs> um, we were busy packing. <laughs> like We didn't realize we should be doing that. Yeah. <laughs> it's just a different feeling. It's like it's mm-hmm. over and then it's just over. And so it's just like one time you're in a military family and the next you're not in a military family anymore. But then like, you know, my mother and my father still essentially get a lot of the benefits of that. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, being my dad being a veteran and there's still a, there's a club still, right. there's a community that he has access to and he can still reach back into that if he wants. You know, for me, I don't have that. Once it was over, it was over. and. There was no send off for me and my brother. It's like now nah, you're in civilian life. Deal yeah, with it. Yeah, I mean, it, hopefully, it gives you enough skills to to deal with it with grace, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. I think it's something that's it's just an interesting thought process. Like I don't think I've really thought about it because I don't have these conversations because I don't know a lot of people who have been in my situation. Mm-hmm. There's a huge organization um, called, it used to be called Military Brats. And this is, I mean, many years ago prior, mm-hmm. this was like, again, for your younger listeners, like the early days of the internet where it was like, I think it was just like chat <laughs> board room thing, you know, like the old rooms. So oh, okay. Yeah. I remember like those chat rooms. Old yeah. school Reddit. Okay. That's, that's what we're talking about here. <laughs> Yeah, that, yeah, okay. That's the way to explain it, Priya. Old school Reddit for you younger people. Um, so I don't know. I, I And that was all, you know, it was privately run. It was just this guy who was trying to get people in touch with one another again. Um, and I assume they've moved to like the web. I know that the USO does support that. But again, you know, it's it's just a totally different generation today than when we went through it. When we went through it, you're right. I think there's just, first of all, the military was smaller at the time. Um, yes. So there were just actually fewer numbers and then we just didn't have that connectivity, you know? Yeah, no, it just wasn't there. Like I remember when I would leave, we would leave our friends, you know, I always remembered leaving. I mean, getting there, I don't have a lot of memories of getting to the bases we went to, but leaving, I remember every Mm -hmm. one of them. And that was always extremely difficult because you were leaving your friends and there was no way to talk to them ever again during that time. So it kind of, I know for me, it hardened me hard. Like I was just like, I'm good. You know, I learned to just rely on my family. I knew I wasn't going to have long-term relationships with my friends growing up. But I think we were all like that. We all just, we learned to disconnect from each other. When it was time to go, it was time to go. Yeah. yeah. I found it took me a really long time to recover from that. I actually remember saying to a good friend of mine, one of my closest friends now, I said, well, I don't really know why I should keep investing in this. You're just going to leave one day or I'm going to leave one day. Oh, really? And this is, I mean, this is like well into my 20s, uh, mid 20s, early 30s. And he was just like, you're an adult. Like you have the choice of whether or not you disappear or I disappear from your life. Um, And that was eye opening because it actually hadn't occurred to me that it was a choice until then. Hmm. Wow. Yeah, I, I I can identify with that. I feel like I had the same thing. I wouldn't like ghost people like people do now and stuff. Like I wouldn't do that, but I would be like, okay, if they weren't in my life. Like, like eh, that's okay. 
<laughs> you know, like it was no like maybe I'll miss him, and I was like, eh, I'm used to leaving yeah. people. You know, it's it's not like this a big emotional thing for mm. me. And but I did in college. I had I had some therapy, and I worked through a lot of that in college. Um, with a wonderful therapist, and it really helped me out a lot for that because I felt like it wasn't right for me to be so dismissive of people. Yeah. When they were in and out of my life, I wanted to have more compassion about. Yeah, that. no, I mean, I think <laughs> I, I suspect there's a lot of people who need it uh, because I, I actually ended up. That's when I started being like, wait a minute, <laughs> maybe there are other options. And how do I, you know, basically what we have are templates of what is normal, and we assume that that's yeah. the way it's going to be, which of course makes it so. And so, yeah, therapy is really about reframing and creating new templates. And so I ended up having to do the same thing and being like, okay, how do I? how do I do this in a way that's more complete? And like, you know, to bring it full circle, I got married two weeks ago, three weeks, maybe. Um, Oh, wow. Congrats. Yeah. And like, to me, that's like, oh, look, you can actually like sustain a relationship. (laughs) (laughs) We were so similar. (laughs) We were very similar. I got, you know, I, I've been married 16 years now and I, I consider it a huge accomplishment for me personally, because I was okay not doing things for a long time, long term. I was like, eh, we just move in and out of things, you know? And uh, I was like, man, I can actually do it. Like I proved to myself I could do something for a long time yeah. with another person. Yeah. And uh, that I was on shaky ground with, I thought, when I was, you know, teenager, early college and stuff. You know? Yeah. Yeah. And those, you know, those are the bonds that we were talking about, these kids who grew up together um, and probably still stay in touch. And, and that it does make a difference. There's a sense of, of rootedness, not in a place, but with people. And, and that's what you're talking about with your family. And I think we all need some sense of where, where we call home, whatever that may look like. Yeah. Is that some anchor? Cause you know, people still ask me like, where are you from? And I'm like, Oh, that's a weird yeah. question. I'm like, nowhere. Uh, like I, I, I don't have a hometown. And like for me, I'll never have that. Where I had a lot of friends in high school and in college are like they're from this one town. I'm like, I, I don't know what that's like. I don't. What does that mean? Like you went to school with somebody since first grade all the way through high school. I'm like that is that's so foreign to mm-hmm. me. You know. Yeah, it's it's exactly what you said, right? Like because the military is such a small proportion of our general population, it's really hard for civilians to understand and access that lifestyle in the same way that it's hard for us to understand or access the, the, the alternative lifestyle. Yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> would have been great if I had like a smartphone right? back then. It would have been, it would have been amazing to like text my friends throughout the course of, Oh, where are you living now? What base are you going too, or where's your dad or mom station? Like it was like complete radio yeah. silence after yeah. that. And some of them I ended up meeting when we were adults, but we're talking like 20 years later, like zero contact. They look like a shadow of themselves as adults. You know, it's, I'll never forget one time I was in, in high school and somebody I went to on Bradley Elementary School in Fort Leavenworth. I remember this girl I went to to, I was in her class in fifth grade. And then first day of school, when I was like in 11th grade, she was in my class at this Whoa. high school. And she didn't, re- she didn't remember me. She had no clue who I was. Well, that's a very impressive and, memory on your part. 
Yeah, I was like, I saw her and I was like, this is crazy. I can't believe, I, this is crazy. Like, what are the odds that we're at the same high school, U.S. public high school, and we were stationed way far away at one point. And I went up to her and I said, hey, I don't remember her name now, but I said, hey, we were in fifth grade together. She goes, who are you? <laughs> and I said, you remember me, Bradley Elementary School? We used to ride our bikes together. And all of a sudden, you should, her eyes got real big and she was like, Darian, oh my gosh, because you don't look the same. You'll start to look different. Everything's changed. You go through puberty. And uh, I remember thinking that was like a lifeline to me because I was like, I knew somebody right. actually. Yeah. Yeah. And I guess that's the other piece of it, right? Like your network, I think we forget how how rich that is, right? Because those ties, even if they were short-lived, were really strong. Um, yeah. And that just means, you know, I mean, obviously, you know all about networks, uh, given your, your, mm-hmm. your whole deal here. Exactly. But like that's, yeah, it's really, uh, it's really powerful. Um, that might be why I have my podcast social network, because I'm always trying to create a big mm-hmm. network. And I think it's because I never had one growing up. That was a continuous timeline of it. It was all these different timelines and different people and different places. And so I think sometimes I just crave the stability of creating a network that I can have for a long term mm-hmm. with that. So. Yeah. Yeah. It's where you, it's what you call home. Yeah. Well, sorry, this turned into my uh, therapy session for your episode. <laughs> Not at all. What a pleasure. This was, it was a really lovely dialogue, I feel. Yeah. I mean, I just, uh, I'm grateful that you wanted to spend time chatting with me and we got to talk about the military, something I never get to talk about anymore. So yeah, thank you. Yeah, my absolute pleasure. Thank you. I will be in touch with you, Priya. All Thanks right, again. Sounds great. Take care. Good day, so let me ask you something. How do you get your news? Because I know you want to stay informed with what's going on here in the world. There's so much going on on a regular basis. And it's something that's been a problem for me personally. And I've been searching and searching and searching. And finally, I found a news source that I think all of my listeners are going to love. It's called The Donut, or The Dose of News Useful Today. The founder and CEO, Peter Nowak, is a good friend of mine. And when he turned me on to it, I was just blown away. Finally, a daily news source that delivers succinct and factual news about all the world's occurrences. And it's an easy access to finding things that you just want to get information about. And it also serves up a lot of positive news stories that you won't hear anywhere else. It's your daily reminder that there is good in the world, even if it doesn't feel like it sometimes. So get the donut, stay informed. It's 100% free. You can unsubscribe anytime. Visit thedonut.co or text donut to 66866 to sign up today. Thank you for listening to this episode of Dr. D's Social Network. Make sure you listen to future episodes. Also, please make sure to rate and review My Dad's Show on Apple Podcasts in the Rate and Review section. Thanks, everyone.